This episode of The Candid Frame is supported by Fujifilm's new integration with Frame.io, Camera to Cloud. A new integration between Fujifilm and Frame.io allows transferring of images or video to the web directly from your Fujifilm camera using C2C technology. Find out more by visiting fujifilm-x.com and clicking on Camera to Cloud. It's really easy to feel sad and depressed when human behavior makes things worse rather than better. War, mass shootings, prejudice, global warming, these and other events make it seem that we live in the worst rather than the best of times. Every generation experiences such thoughts and feelings, and yet they often find that they have survived such times and overcome the worst of their imagined outcomes. Yet it's hard to be that hopeful when all that's wrong in the world is magnified and distributed en masse every single moment of the day. However, there are countless stories that run counter to that hopeless narrative. They showcase that despite the insurmountable odds, there is still good that is worth doing and that is being done for the benefit of humans and the other creatures we share this planet with. Mark Edward Harris's most recent book, The People of the Forest, focuses on the plight of orangutans. The book documents how the palm oil industry and war have threatened the existence of our fellow primates. Yet it also showcases how people are fighting to save this important species and the habitat they depend on. Mark, who was one of the show's earliest guests, has made a career of overcoming difficult challenges to tell and share important stories. I'm honored and humbled to spend time with him again. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. But it's it's good to, to, to talk to you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, I, I started uh, our first conversation for this was what 598 people ago yeah. photographers yeah ago. congratulations on oh thank you amazing uh body of work you've done uh for as, as you know from from my past history and photography uh uh get together in, in, in very close ways in, in my work and the stories i do and and, and people that i interview and so to see your body of work uh, along the same lines and you've gone further with recording this high fidelity these voices that one day will be gone the photos will live on but it's amazing to have the voices to go along with it yeah uh, thank you thank you because you know when i interviewed you i was, was still trying to figure this whole thing out <laughs> i didn't know what yeah. the hell i was doing <laughs> i was within the first three or four yeah, that's I right think. Yeah, so thank you for having me back. Oh, my pleasure, man. For sure. I've always been, yeah. uh, I've enjoyed your work. I, I enjoyed working with you back in the old magazine days. That's right. Um, I love that, too. It's scary to think about how fast time goes. I mean, that's like 30 years ago or something? Yeah. Or is it not that far? Am I? Am I no, no, it's, get, it's, it's getting there. Probably not 30, but probably at 25. Yeah, yeah, something that like that, 20, right. 25 years ago. 
yeah. I'm not going to look in the calendar to find out exactly. <laughs> no, but 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 you're like Dorian Gray. You're ageless. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm feeling. Uh, uh, actually, I'm not feeling it at all. I feel I feel great. I think I'm looking it, but not feeling it. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, when I decided to grow out the beard, and you see all the gray there, going, "Oh yeah, yeah." I'm, I'm no, but that looks distinguished and stuff. I just, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing. You know, we're 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 out there still, and um, there's a, there's a lot more ahead, I think. And so, if we look back uh, from the last time we talked till now, a, a lot of waters flowed under the bridge i think for both of us and i think i have a lot of new books out i don't know what yeah. i had out at that time um yeah because i think the last time I, I i talked to you was the um uh, the book on north korea i think it's the last uh, book that we discussed on the show right so that would have been 2000 well 2008 uh, no, what am I saying? 2013 was was the last, uh, the second North Korea book. Um, we might have talked when the first North Korea book came out, but I did that book, uh, uh, North Korea, based on it being the 60th anniversary of the signing of the armistice that stopped the war, didn't end it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're still technically in a in a state of war uh, with North Korea. Uh, I always, uh, or I shouldn't say always, but I often uh, was, you know, you know, we look for hooks for stories and projects and things. Sometimes uh, something happens and that becomes the story. Like, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work in Japan. Well, for, for many years with the J way the Japanese bath, which I love, but then the tsunami happened in 2011. Uh, and I've been, you know, following that story, I was there just after the tsunami. I had been there just before, actually in the exact place where, where uh, the tsunami came in. Uh, ironically enough, just three months before that happened. And so then I returned to a very different place, you know, that was completely devastated, but so impressive to see how the people, you know, reacted to that. And so there's always, you know, hooks for, for stories um, that are, that um you know so north korea was that 60th anniversary mm -hmm. and and um so one after another you know stories come out based on either what's going on or or an anniversary something that happened in the past or at least that's how i approach you know stories well your career is really um a fascinating and unique one from my perspective um because your work is so diverse in terms of what you've covered um, throughout your career, and and largely it's it's been self-propelled. Certainly, you've worked mm -hmm. for for magazines, but so much of what you've done has been initiated by by you. And the fact that you've you know had as fruitful and as lengthy a career as you have is is quite the testament. You know, to a lot of things, not least of which is you know your talent as as a photographer. But I think it's a sort of fortitude that that doesn't come easy because uh, there's a lot of struggle involved. And I know that um, you drew a lot of inspiration um, from your dad, who who, despite you know some physical disabilities, including having yeah. having had. had 
survive through polio. Yeah. Um, I suspect that you probably picked up a lot of being able to overcome, you know, uh, whatever challenges yeah. in order to make things things happen. Do you do you kind of attribute what you've been able to do by what you observed your dad being able to achieve? Well, I wouldn't even say kind of. I would say a hundred percent did, and I appreciate you you. you um, you know, being so aware of that co co connection there because 100%. I mean, I, I grew up in a house where there were never any excuses for anything uh, because it was just by example. I mean, here's here's a guy who uh, just had the use of one arm. Uh, his backbone was very curved, but yet he could somehow walk. I mean, we'd go play golf and, and he would use, you know, one club as, as, as a cane and hit with one hand. And he actually could almost shoot even par on a par three, which is just unbelievable. And then we would play fungo, you know, baseball in the street uh, and he would throw up uh, the ball with one hand you know, holding the bat and then hit. It was just unbelievable what, what he could do. And, and, and that's just on, you know, you know, on our personal side in, in the business world, he worked with magazines and, and TV doing promotion and was incredibly successful and traveled the world and, and actually was a very serious photographer, sometimes for work, uh, you know, doing like for KCBS radio in San Francisco, uh, doing PR, he would, he would shoot. And, and so you grow up in that environment. First of all, I sort of was his, his assistant uh, when we would do family trips. And, and so I was out, you know, shooting the camera. And so when, I would shoot photos with him and my mom or brother in the in a shot. I would get the camera, and so I, w I grew up in a, in a family that had, uh, you know, um, eight millimeter uh, film cameras and uh, thirty five millimeter uh, still cameras. And actually, I think maybe early on, even a, a two and a quarter. Uh, but but growing up with somebody like that uh, uh, was such a was such a, a great inspiration. For sure, uh, and, and um, but also, you know, he was a very creative person as well. And my mom uh, was a singer in her youth, uh, and then got into uh, working. You know, as a, well, she was a teacher. She went back to school when I was maybe ten years old, and so I saw. You know, my mom go back and get her uh, you know, teaching degree at Cal State LA. So I, I. I sort of grew up in an environment where people just got out and did things. So I attribute so much uh, to, to both my uh, mother and father. And I didn't know I couldn't do something uh, when I was younger. Like I wanted to build a studio uh, out of the garage when I was 14. And they let me, you know, get the lumber and, and, and put in a floor and stuff. It's like, wow, that's really rolling the dice. You know, <laughs> you, know. you know, I don't know how many parents would let you, uh, well, potentially destroy something, but actually it worked out really well. And to this day, uh, that floor doesn't uh, creak at all uh, that I put in on a very uneven surface. And that's, uh, you, you know, I still feel good about that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't live there anymore, but, but I know that that uh, floor is still intact, but because um, uh, my mom, uh, who unfortunately is not doing very well, but she still is in that house. And so um, at least uh, the, the ceiling we put up is sort of collapsed, but you can't win them all. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, the, but the floor is still working. Yeah, but that that idea, that principle is like you don't know you can't do something until you try to do it. That's right. And I think that that's something that seems to have been instilled um, in you by your parents because I see it reflected in everything you're doing. Just the fact that you are learning all those all these different languages. You know, you're you're studying. You've studied Japanese, you're studying Chinese, and God knows yeah. whatever else. And the idea that it's like, <laughs> that. you know, you, you're, you're studying all these languages sometimes simultaneously. And the idea that it's just like, how can you do it? And it's like, well, how do you know you can't do it? It's true. Uh, no, very well said. Yeah, I, I, I uh, really grew up, and I still have that to this day, uh, the idea of... Uh, I mean, I grew up, you know, wanting to be a, a baseball player, and I didn't really close that door until, you know, for fun, a couple of friends and I went to an open tryout for the Giants, I think, when we were all 25. Oh, I mean, wow. we had to open a bottle of champagne the night before. I mean, I think we knew uh, what the results were going to be, but it, but they were very gracious. Uh, the Giants, we flew out to Arizona, and we did it. And it really did mentally sort of just close the book. I mean, uh, you know... Um, and, and so I, I, I do like to, um, you know, just just follow, you know, feelings and not let the super ego get involved yeah. too much and think too much and 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 think oh, uh, oh you can't do this because you can't do this because well, you know I've never been big on excuses even when I teach, you know, workshops or whatever and then somebody starts to say I couldn't do this because. Uh, in fact, you know, the, the famous quote uh, by uh, a National Geographic editor about uh, we publish pictures, not excuses. Yeah. Uh, is, is such a great quote. And, and uh, I, I think almost anything you can find a way to achieve something within reasons. I mean, there are blockades mental and physical that can get in the way but but more often than not they're mental more than than physical and so l let's at least try to get up against that barrier and see if we could break through uh, rather than just turning around at, at, with an excuse is that how you kind of face challenges or adversity is not so much thinking about you know why you're under these circumstances or how difficult it's going to be, but you see it rather as, well, let me try and figure this out rather than yeah. getting enmeshed in all sort of the emotions of self doubt and insecurity. Is that, is that how you think you're hardwired? Definitely. Uh, I mean, that doesn't mean I, I, I'm, I'm not full of anxiety over things, but, uh, but I, I do believe that one door closes another opens to use an old expression um but i th it's so true it is so true you just have to be you know open to it a and uh it's not easy but but it's also I mean, so, so to go back to to a person who really inspired me as well uh, when i was doing all when i still do interviews with photographers but uh, uh eve arnold many years ago um we were talking uh, i visited her in uh england and we did a a feature and she said, um, uh, maybe there's a new story happening. I don't know if you can <laughs> yes, hear it. There's a siren, a siren outside. So maybe uh, not that I'm an ambulance chaser, but uh, you never know if there's something. But Eve Arnold, when we were together uh, in London, uh, said that 
you know, as as a as a freelancer, you're you're either waiting for the phone to ring or you're overwhelmed with work and trying to juggle things. And so she started doing, you know, book projects. So uh, in China was one of them, her, her first really big right. long-term project. And, and she said that really sort of smoothed out the edges. So she made a conscious decision. I mean, besides producing a really amazing book uh, at a time that very few photographers, Western photographers were able to, you know, shoot in China. Mark Rabu is a, an exception to that as well. Uh, because she was living in England and her, I believe her husband was English, so she had English citizenships. Uh, she was able to, I believe that's the case, uh, she was able to to maneuver easier uh, in China. And, um, but that whole concept of, uh, you know, one, um, uh, you know, being freelance and, and looking for long-term projects uh, that had a had a, an effect on me as well, and I see that, you know, with Mary Ellen Mark. Um, you know, w- we talked about how she came up with projects. I mean, if you look at her greatest, you know, work, it's almost always something that she came up with, right. or uh, you know, she worked on streetwise. Uh, you know, her husband was shooting um, um, a documentary, and then she, I think, she was doing stills. Then it, she just really ran with it. But I mean, if you look at Indian circus that she did, uh, you know, one project after another, she came up with it, the twins, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, so if you wait around, uh, for the phone to ring to this day, or, or, or I guess these days to, for a text or, or, or something, the phone hardly ever rings except for spam, right? These days. But, but if you wait around, uh, for somebody to give you something, uh, you're going to be waiting more often than not a lot longer than you should be for, for, for really interesting projects. And also, if you want something to come from within, I mean, Salgado is another oh, great yeah. example, right? Where, where, where he might get a call from Kathy Ryan saying, hey, you know, why don't you do this or that? In fact, that happened uh, to cover the, uh, the war in Iraq. And he decided... Uh, you know what, let's wait and see the aftermath and, and, and what's going on here, you know, with, with the, the global impact of, of the uh, oil wells burning untapped and, and, and all this other stuff. And, and he came out with a very deep, uh, important project that, that was much more uh, where he was coming from, the bigger impact of something that then, you know, a more reportage documentary on 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 the actual fighting yeah um i think so i think so much of your career is 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 along the sort of same lines in terms of knowing who you are as as a photographer the stories you want to tell and how you want to tell them and i think that that you know, photographers like Mary Ellen Mark and Salgado are really good examples of people with that sort of set of mindset. And I, I think you have that as well, especially when I think about, you know, when you got your master's degree, you basically sort of formulated your your degree in terms of it being, um, you know, a photographic history degree where, you know, the Cal State School where you went didn't have that. That's but, right. But you knew what you wanted to do was sort of a hybrid of of studying history 
but also being able to use a camera in order to capture the story, the history of whatever subject matter or, or you know, event that you were interested in focusing on. And I think just the fact that you had that insight then um, tells me that you already knew the path that you needed to be on in order to make the career fit you rather than you trying to fit what you thought the career was. Yeah, um, that is it is so so well said, and I appreciate you connecting all those those dots. Sometimes I forget, <laughs> but it, it's really true. So yeah, the, the exact title for for what I came up with, and they signed Dean Suzuki. I still remember who signed off on it um, uh, at, at Cal State LA, which was a very commuter sort of school, but it was it, it was perfect. But they had you know great uh, programs, but but uh, nothing really fit for exactly what I wanted to do. And so to, to marry uh, photography and history and some other and filmmaking and, uh, and so it was called, uh, it was a special major pictorial documentary history. And it really did tie in uh, my interests. I, I, I think I was still, when I came out of Cal State Northridge with a history uh, major, I was still very lost. I had taken some photo classes and I loved it, but I really had no clue about how to take that interest and love and make it a career at all. Uh, so, and I did love travel as I obviously still do. And so I got a job first uh, with the travel company to, to package tours. And, and so, uh, and that was at a time of telexes or whatever they call it. And um, I might be dating myself that maybe there was a newer word, but I think that's, it, 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 we were dealing with getting tours in and out of China, which was not, easy in the early 80s. But um, uh, I think that that major, uh, I did have an inkling of, of, of where I wanted to go, not necessarily how I wanted to go. And that major, I think, really helped. And my master's thesis was on Boston's historic sites and the interpretations used uh, to convey the sense of history for which they, they stand. And, and I think that that really set some things up that I realized really worked uh, a few years later. First of all, it, it gave me you know a higher level of, of research methodology. Uh, but then when I did uh, my first book about photographies, the faces of the 20th century master photographers and the work, I kept thinking this isn't that hard to put a book together. And I was with Abbeville Press. I had a great editor there, which of course smoothed the way, but assembling everything for it was not that difficult because having done uh, my master's thesis it was basically it was an extension of the same thing and and so I, I don't I don't think I realized for maybe 15 16 years after I got that that degree how it how clearly uh, it, it, it it paid off in terms of, of understanding the methodology of how to do things but I always uh, you know I hear about an uh, an anniversary or I'm struck by something and then I run with it, you know, and, and then I might get to the point and say, okay, this doesn't quite uh, work. I mean, just like I was in Ukraine in, in December and I, I went in uh, with sort of a couple of different loose concepts, but there was something that really struck me. And it actually, believe it or not, came out of 
orangutans, which sounds like a strange thing to connect with Ukraine and the current situation there. But a- after doing my book about orangutans, uh, I found that there were a couple of orangutans still in in um, Ukraine during the war, and, and, and some uh, were being moved. Uh, there was a horrible incident at this echo park uh, near um, Kharkiv, where a lot of animals, a horrible, just slaughter of animals as the Russians were were, were coming in. Um, and uh, that sort of led to a bigger story about the people that were doing animal rescues in Ukraine and really risking their lives going into, uh, and I went in with, with somebody uh, who was, uh, you know, uh, they rescue all sorts of animals that particular day. It was, they were focused on, on cats. And so we went about two kilometers from the Russian border to a place called um, Vovchansk and mortars uh, or not mortars, but uh, you know, those incoming rounds, uh, you know, it was shelling and and I really thought about wow this person is doing this over and over again you know to save animals um, and that was really impressive so that's how one sort of story leads to another and then I did the research on it and that's how I and so that master's degree and that interest in history and research so it's not just about um, okay here's a story here but you know how did uh, the situation in Ukraine get to that situation to so understanding the the history behind that and then in june i had done another story i was in odessa very briefly and i came up through moldova but that but but understanding the history of the area i'm by far i'm not an expert at all on eastern europe but uh, but having a working knowledge i think does give uh, more insight and more depth uh to a story you produce when 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 you when you have a, a fairly good idea of, of how we got to a certain place instead of um, just taking some and and if you look at all the I mean you know W Gene Smith what he did you know for his photo essays you can see in his imagery you know a deep understanding of what he's doing and and also the time he put in like in you know you're going over to Japan again soon you know in Minamata when he did his um, his uh, you know landmark probably his last big photo essay, actually. But, you know, Minamata, you can see the depth that he went to to create that. You see an understanding of the situation in his images. And, uh, you know, his wife, Eileen, obviously was a huge help, you know, to that, to help bridge the gap. But even without that, I think, you know, and he didn't speak, you know, Japanese. Uh, the humanism and, and the connecting with other humans, I think, is what was a probably more important language for him to use for communication. You know, the speaking of the work that you did uh, in in the Ukraine 40 years ago, you know, you would have contacted a magazine editor, told them the story, and then they would have hired you to go out and tell the story. You get a, you know, they pay for the flights and help you to help make whatever arrangements and you get out there and, you know, you were get, you were assured that more than likely the work that you would produce there would get published. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. You kind of no. just go out on your own and make it happen. So walk us through what your process is, especially for this most recent project that you just mentioned, from hearing about what's happening and then putting 
everything in motion in order to get there, produce the images, and come back slavery with the pictures and do something with them. Right. Well, in that case for, for Ukraine, uh, I, I'd started working uh, at, I met uh, with the folks who run uh, Zuma Press in at the Tokyo Olympics. Actually, I was shooting uh, in, in Tokyo for, for Newsweek, but I met the folks from Zuma uh, Press and got uh, started working with them and then d- did the Beijing Olympics and Paralympics with them, including uh, in the Paralympics, uh, the Ukraine team. And I was in, uh, I was in uh, Beijing when the Russians started the invasion. And uh, it was a big debate about, well, should the Russian and Belarusian uh, Paralympic teams be allowed to per- participate. So the Olympics were done already, and then the invasion started. And then there's actually, there's a question about was the timing uh, of the uh, invasion purposely sort of, you know, they waited until the Russians waited until or Putin waited until after the Olympics to start it. That was a very real uh, debate, because, but it did start just before the Paralympics. And at first, the Paralympic Committee said, we are going to uh, keep uh, the teams here, these Paralympians, shouldn't be punished by the sins of their their country. Uh, and then uh, there was such an uproar by the other teams uh, that there was a news conference, which I attended and I photographed, where, where they reversed the decision uh, and said, no, we're, we have to send we will the other teams are saying we're going to leave if if the russians and belarusians stay and so i covered that and so sort of my first coverage of the whole uh uh issue the whole war in a sense starts in beijing at this press conference and i did talk to uh some of the uh the um ukrainian uh coaches there i photographed i i then started to focus more on ukrainian uh paralympians uh, and photograph them. And so I think, so that was where the, the idea started to incubate that, uh, you know, I should go to Ukraine at some point and maybe follow the Paralympian story there. Uh, I ended up when I got there, uh, well, first of all, yeah, and, and you're 100% right. I funded everything myself. Zuma was a way to get images out, but I had to, but it was in order to get press credentials to use Zuma Press was uh, something I needed to do. Uh, and so that's like the, the, you know, the one part of it in order, because you want to work uh, legally there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a war zone. You want to show the proper ID and all that. So, uh, so I bought a ticket, uh, got myself to Warsaw and uh, took the train in. Uh, from there to Kiev, you know, across the border, and uh, and then started to meet with people, and then ideas started to come. And so first, I started started doing a little more general news thing, and then I started to pursue the ideas, especially you know with the orangutans. Could I meet and photograph the orangutans you have in captivity? And then I you know heard about this um, this Echo Park that had been destroyed, and I got out to Kharkiv, uh, but also had heard about. Um, 
Oh, sorry about that. I thought I had turned that off. Uh, so I heard about uh, in Kharkiv and this Feldman Echo Park and the Kiev Zoo, uh, right, the Kiev Zoo I went to, but then the Echo Park in Kharkiv and the Kharkiv Zoo and these, and then this uh, Ukraine animals organization that was doing rescues. And so more and more, I started to move that uh, direction. So I didn't pursue the, the, the Ukrainian Paralympian stories back there. That doesn't mean I, I won't, but I really ran with this story uh, besides just doing some general, you know, news when things would happen, because uh, of course in a, in a war area, it's a very fluid situation. Um, and then I went with it and uh, have gotten the photos out and there's, there's been a lot of response to it. I, I mean, I came face to face with, with, with the animals that uh, had survived because of, of humans. You know, so often we hear stories about how humans are destroying animals, but there's a lot of good humans out there that are trying to, to help their fellow beings. And, you know, I had the good fortune to, to work with some of them and they're really courageous people. Uh, but, you know, animals get very stressed. Uh, there's an elephant in, um, it, at the Kharkiv Zoo that, that uh, during the heaviest of bombing had to put, be put on extreme tranquilizers. I mean, it's not that easy just to move animals. And so even though Kharkiv's, you know, far away from, uh, well, Kharkiv is about um, 30 miles from the Russian border. Um, and Kiev is, is, is obviously much further away, fortunately, now. Uh, but the elephant at the, at the Kiev Zoo uh, had to be very heavily tranquilized. Uh, one of the keepers slept in the, in, in the same area with the uh, elephant. And that elephant actually learned every time it heard a, a siren and it was outside, it would come inside to its enclosure on its own. Um, you know, so in other words... Animals, like they don't understand the concept of war per se, but they understand uh, that when they hear a, you know, a siren in this case, that there could be followed by explosions. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just incredible to see. I mean, we're, we're you know, we, I, we, we might be capable of, of, of having a broader understanding of what's going on. Uh, and, and I don't know if that eases um, anything, but just imagine if you're an animal and you have no clue about what's going on, but you know you're hearing these explosions, uh, or in, in the case of the Feldman Zoo, all these animals being killed around you. I mean, what terror that must be. Yeah. Um, the idea of going into a, a war zone yeah. To, to to make photographs, it's not it's not a decision you can make lightly. I know that we tend to romanticize, you know, the war, the grizzled war correspondent. You know, the idea of you know, someone going out there and just being blindly dedicated to telling the story. Um, but I, I, I'm wondering for you, why is it important for you to make the choice to make photographs even under those kind of 
life-threatening conditions because you don't have to. You're under no obligation to 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 do that. So why do you think you, you choose to do that? Well, you know, I'm really not putting myself in the line of fire, uh, particularly. I mean, you see such uh, amazing photographers that are out there that are really you know, doing that on a constant basis. Uh, you know, I, you know, being in Kiev at this time uh, is, is, you know, of course the sirens go off and things come in, but, but the odds are you won't be at the place where it does. That doesn't mean it, it won't. Uh, you know, getting out to Kharkiv and then to Volchansk, Volchansk was a definitely a, a different ball game because stuff was coming in all over. And so that was, but, but uh, you know, the border regions, I was there in such a relatively short amount of time compared to what, you know, people that are covering, you know, the, the frontline stuff. Um, it's just where the story took me, uh, you know, and also like North Korea, you know, going there, 10 times or Iran twice. There's no fighting going on in North Korea. Uh, there was no fighting going on in Iran. In, in Iraq, I was doing something on the uh, on an area that got us within 17 kilometers of, of uh, some very heavy fighting. But, but the story really was not focused on, on a fighting area there. And so, so it's really more that... Um, I happen to be in areas that are in conflict, either, uh, you know, where I think there's an important story, but I'm not covering uh, battlefield mm -hmm. things per se. It's just that these stories happen to be in these areas of, of, of conflict. Um, I mean, the same could be said in a sense for like, you know, Borneo with the orangutans and the palm oil thing. Uh, you know, there, there's a war going on in a sense that that the orangutans and the other animals in the forest there could be the, the the victims, but it's also a very complicated issue. And I like to look deeper into that. With with um, you know, people are trying to survive there too. And so, you know, palm oil plantations. So, I see like my stories in a way sort of jump around too. Um, but I think it's easier because I don't have uh, kids. I'm not married anymore. And so it, it's it's really just uh, me uh, in a sense. And so I think if if you're you're married uh, and have kids, you have to think more about um, putting yourself uh, in in places that are uh, the, of higher risk mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, you know, I mean, if you had. Uh, young kids and you're putting yourself out there, you really have to think about, you know, is this a, a wise move? Um, you, you know, I, I have no interest in being killed in a, in a war zone or, or, or any place else. I really enjoy life too much. Uh, but um, I also think it's really important to get these, these stories out. And I do ask my question, uh, myself the question, you know, if not now, when, and also will I regret it if I don't do it? Mm. That's that's very often. In fact, that's the key one. Will I regret it if I don't do it? And, and so, very seldom uh, is the answer uh, uh, no. I won't regret. Almost always, if I start to formulate an idea about a, a project, uh, and I start to 
sort of feel that inkling, oh, I, sh- I want to do this. Uh, you know, I let the inner voice sort of, you know, dictate. Um, and, and of course, you know, the, the superego once again can come in and, and come up with some excuses or reasons. And, and I think you do have to listen to that for preservation. But I think you, you still have to, um, I think the more overriding one, uh, I mean, every time I get on a plane and go to North Korea, you know, uh, as an American, uh, you know, as I said, there, there, nobody's, you know, there's no active shooting at all, but there's a potential uh, for being held. Uh, but I think if you, from my experiences there, if you're straightforward and you follow the rules, uh, you usually uh, end up uh, coming out in, in good shape. Yeah. Well, that, that that answers kind of, I think, answers the question I was going to ask you next, yep. which is, you know, when you're thinking about the potential of something that you want to do, yeah, a lot of this stuff is, much of it, your work is so self-funded, and yep. and thinking about, well, how viable is this? I may be inclined to want to do this, but there are a lot of ideas that may pop into your head of things to do. Right, and I think you, you still, and even if you don't have a family, you still have you know a roof over your head. You still have to pay your bills. You still have to pay your sort of your insurance, and there are a lot of like practical things that you have to consider, which I think is what keeps a lot a lot of people from not doing it because they go, oh, I can't afford to, I can't take a risk of spending all this money and not likely not getting a return on it, but. If you're asking yourself ultimately that question, will I regret not doing it? That that may answer the choice to 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 do it, even though you may be unsure about the outcome, which I think is sort of a perilous place for a lot of people to be. Um. So, my question to you is: Do you, does your inclination to follow that, yeah, come from having a history of making that choice and having it in having it work out both Definitely. creatively and, and, and financially and career wise? Well financially, no. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. If I'm looking at things in a purely uh or, or, or really using that as a big part of the equation. I mean, first of all, I do look at uh uh you know, obviously, we all have to look at economics for sure. And, and that's actually a second part of, you know, not being, uh, you know, married anymore or, you know, having kids is, is so the, the finances pretty much is just about my own, you know, personal uh, survival uh, economically. And I do have to think about that. And I do take it in. Uh, Ukraine has not, um, has not been, one would say, economically viable. If I look at it in a very, you know, linear sort of way, uh, though, you know, I might have been asked uh, to do a workshop or something uh, because of that. Uh, don't know if that's happened yet. I mean, I do workshops all the time. I don't know if somebody said, oh, you know, Mark just did this. Why don't we have him do that? That happens all the time. But but all my projects, if I look at, uh, you know, the way the Japanese bath, my Japanese bath book ha- has paid off 10 times at least, but but in, in a lot of non-linear ways. In other words, 
Okay, if we look at straight book sales, I mean, I think now we're almost at, you know, it's its third edition, almost 6,000 books out. And there's print sales about that. Uh, and so I can, but I'm also, you know, asked to be a speaker all the time about that. So many magazines have done features on the book, a lot of in-flight magazines. Uh, I've done uh, so many other stories for Backroads. I did a whole campaign for them, which is a travel company in um, the Noto Peninsula in, in, in Japan. But of course, that then goes into my being able to speak conversational Japanese. I just came back uh, from doing something with Abercrombie in Canton, Japan. I'm going back for the Adventure World uh, tra- Adventure Trade World Summit. So, so, so that's paid off on so many levels besides a personal fulfillment level. Uh, North Korea, a lot of exhibitions, uh, a lot of uh, features on the work. Uh, that work, a lot of it's through Getty Images. That stuff goes out. Uh, but, but yeah, the, but the motivation uh, for any of those stories has never been economics. But I do have to think in terms of, of uh, economic survival, for sure. And so I, I, I do think about, uh, you know, eating at home rather than going to restaurants and things like that. In other words, it's just sort of like, where, do, where does the money go? You know, and I love restaurants and things, but, uh, it, but, but I do have to, you know, get, you know, get down to, uh, and I love the expression realpolitik way of uh, looking at things. Not, not the way I hope them to be, but the way they really are mm-hmm. is, is my approach even, you know, when I study photography. But if you take that on a, on a life lesson in terms of how to deal with finances, I think I've done well because it's like, okay, the reality is uh, this is how much I've got. I, it, this can go to that. But you got to roll the dice. And, and, and the clock, uh, you know, is ticking, you know, for all of us, right? And so, so – we're only here once as far as I know. Um, and, and so might as well use the time as much as, as we can. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I continue to follow the stories that mean something and also realize that, especially because as, as you mentioned earlier, I'm in so many sort of different genres of photography. It does get confusing to people. Am I a wildlife photographer? Am I, a portrait photographer, am I a documentary photographer, um, an art photographer? And, and maybe just the answer is yes, which doesn't make sense <laughs> to say yeah. But but that's probably yeah. And, and and it's good. But but what I do, and I've learned to sort of cubbyhole stuff. And so when I do stuff on Instagram, I try to put bodies of work up. If if every day it's a different, uh, you know, image. Like one day, it, it's uh, I mean today's. Sometimes I'll cut a, a story short because there's a particular anniversary happening and I'll, I'll put up an image. But just like when we do a magazine feature and it's 12 to 8 images, you know, it's on a particular uh, subject. And and I, you know, maybe from the magazine days when we were doing that together, uh, you know, I really understand that it's just not – you just don't have this retrospective approach, you know, with magazines. You have a story approach. You have a hook. Uh, and so – somebody might be an amazing uh, photographer and has done this work all over the world. But when we do features, we're, we're, we usually feature, you know, look for a hook, you know, 
did they just have a book come out and then we feature work on that particular subject matter? And then maybe when somebody's older, you might do a retrospective sort of feature on somebody. And, and so I have that same approach. Just like, you know, you're going to Japan and, and you're going to be doing some great street work. Uh, but but when we look at that body of work, it's clear that this is a body of work. You're not trying to take on all of Japan, right? Yeah. Right. You're, you're, you're focusing on street life, like in, um, where, you, where are you going? Osaka and Kyoto. Oh, great. Perfect. And so what's your focus there, actually? Uh, it's It's... Largely being defined by George, uh, oh, because see. he's he's Japanese, yeah. so he has a lot of cultural insight into yeah. the into the in the society and the communities that we're going to be exploring. So he okay. kind of handles that, and I kind of handle the way of being able to see and interpret that with uh -huh. with the camera. So, like my right. first trip to Tokyo, uh, it was basically I was kind of like on the workshop myself. Because yeah. I was learning so much about uh, Japanese culture that I had no idea about, you yeah. know, the so social dynamics with people, behavior, you know, you know cultural norms, uh, finding ways of not uh, uh, offending people unintentionally. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And, you know. And so it, for me, it was uh, uh, that's one of the the, the fascinating things about. Uh, visiting the place and why I'm really kind of eager to kind of return there after having cut my teeth on it once. It's like there's so much more to to learn and look forward to and the and and have experiences that are very unlike anything that I've had before. Oh, that's interesting. And and, and the fact yeah. that I get to make photographs on top of that is just like gravy. Oh, it's unbelievable. And and, you, and, and it's going to be amazing to see what you you come up with there. I mean, Japan really is still on the top of my you know, list. Um, uh, sorry, something, how did that just happen? Wow. That's crazy. We're talking about Japan and all of a sudden uh, my music thing went on. That was strange. Uh -huh. Okay, so we'll take it. Okay, here we go. But Not that it was a bad song, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, so the... Um, yeah, Japan is still at the top of my list as, as favorite places to explore. I, I just love Japan. You know, my ex-wife, and we're still super close, is, is Japanese. And uh, every time I teach a workshop there, she does a tea ceremony for us. She went back for an amazing job with TV Tokyo, but um, she then followed her passion and her love of the, the Japanese tea ceremony. So if you're in Tokyo, I would love to connect yeah, you guys. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, uh, it, Japanese tea ceremony is just so you know the mindfulness aspect, the the you know being in a right being in a present, the, the the grace of it. It's not about drinking tea, but these, but I, I I love Japanese culture, and so instead of and sort of sort of this might sort of sort of expand upon something we talked about earlier. So instead of trying to do something on all Japan and Japan culture, it's too vague. Uh, the way of the Japanese bath about the whole Japanese onsen, the hot spring experience, uh, comes out of that idea of looking for something that tells a bigger story, but is focused on one thing. I mean, you have the great work of Michael Kenna, who is interpreting Japan with its landscapes and, and beauties. Mm -hmm. but, and that's sort of a different way of doing it. And, you, and you're probably going to then do more like sort of street and life and people and reality things. Uh, the Japanese bath, I mean, I've done... 
probably four or five major focused bodies of work in, in Japan, but the way the Japanese bath uh, is, is one of them. Uh, the Tokyo Olympics, I call that the miracle games because it's, a, uh, that was, and then I took that and the China Chinese, uh, the, uh, the Beijing Olympics, put those together as the miracle games, mm -hmm. because I mean, the concept of bringing the world together during a pandemic is unbelievable and to do it successfully. And so, so, so that was that body of work, uh, 311, uh, which is March 11th, which is when the tsunami, uh, the earthquake and the tsunami was. And that's now been a, I guess we're going on 12 years is a continuing uh, project that, that I'm doing, you know, to, to trace, uh, well, I mean, to use my images from just after the tsunami and just before, uh, and then the recovery, which I've been going, every time I go to Japan, I go back uh, up to that area and I generate uh, some stories, which is, you know, running, um, did we say ran or run? It ran? It ran. I guess I can say it ran. Yeah. It ran. It ran in um, in Vanity Fair and, and all these other, uh, you know, magazines and then through stock. Um, but once again, has that paid off uh, on a linear way? Uh, I, I, I think it's more nonlinear because, you know, I did that. And then um, uh, that was one of the first big stories I did for Vanity Fair. And then soon after I met Pico Iyer, who's an amazing writer, and we teamed up and did something in North Korea for Vanity Fair. And so, so you see that nonlinear yeah. way. In other words, if I didn't have that initial association with Vanity Fair because of the tsunami, I wouldn't have, or actually, I knew David Friend from from Life Magazine, so I had an association with, with some of the people who had moved over to Vanity Fair. But, but, um, but definitely, it was my uh, the success uh, of of that co coverage uh, helped. Uh, with the, with the North Korea story, being able to to, to connect with Pico and, and do the, the the big feature on, on North Korea cinema, which was the focus of that particular uh, story. So so uh, it's always an interesting thing. Yeah, do things pay off? Uh, and so my I guess standard answer might be I think in a nonlinear way. Yeah, yeah. and, and yeah, same actually North Korea with. Uh, uh, you're friends with Farmani as well, of course, from, from IPA, International Photography mm -hmm. Awards. I think you know uh, Hussein Farmani. Uh, but my book on North Korea uh, won the, the photo book of the year. Uh, and then he recommended me, along with Steve McCurry and two other photographers, to do the Turkey advertising campaign for 2014. And so that, you know, so, so did North Korea pay off directly in terms of, of the features? I mean, it definitely has paid off on a personal level in terms of my you know fascination with history and what I feel is important to document. But, you know, that one job doing the advertising ca campaign for Turkey, which was a direct result of the book, uh, financially paid off. So, so, you know, so that's why I can sit here with some books behind me and, uh, you know, get, get out and, and, and pursue the other projects. When it comes to our finances, many things make demands on us. Housing, food, electricity, health care, so many things. 
There is no getting around the fact that whatever we earn goes to these essentials. And after all these things are taken care of, we hopefully have enough left to spend on things that make our lives enjoyable and better, including a, a lovely night out, a vacation, or, or even just a good book. There is no shortage of people and institutions asking you to support their work. We're no exception. But I believe that the people who support our show do so because we bring something unique and special to their lives. And when they do that, they are helping to make it possible for countless others, some of whom may never be able to afford to support the show financially. Yet, they benefit from these 600-plus episodes and these wonderful conversations. If you can afford to and believe that what we do is important and that more people should know about it, please become a Patreon supporter today. You can contribute $5, 10 $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. I have and continue to do this show because I believe in its mission completely. If you do so as well, please become a supporter today. Thanks. Let's talk about the uh, the people of the forest, which is one of your more sure. recent books on uh, orangutans. How did that all come about? Come about the I had submitted uh, some photos just that, that I had done in uh, of all places Indianapolis. You wouldn't necessarily think that that the start of a, of a of a project on orangutans would start in Indianapolis. But that's exactly where it did, and it's not because uh, orangutans are indigenous to uh, Indianapolis; they, they, they're only in Borneo and Sumatra. But uh, they have an incredible international orangutan center there, and I was on a press trip uh, to uh, Indianapolis that happened to coincide with the opening of this international center uh, years ago, and I I was so fascinated by the orangutans. I knew so little uh, about them before this trip and, 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 and probably not that much in immediate aftermath, but I started really doing my, my homework. Uh, but when I, I photographed them uh, at this opening, we had sort of special access. They were still on the other side of, of, of a glass partition. Uh, but I used uh an off-camera flash, which I, I could drop down the background. So it basically went black and it was more of a, a, a portrait rather than an environmental. It was a fate, eyes of the window to the soul portrait rather than uh, an environmental portrait of them in this enclosure. A and I don't, I know this sounds crazy, but, but uh, one of them asked with gestures to look at the back of my screen to see the, the photo. Uh, and I turned the camera around and they looked at it. They didn't sign off on it. They didn't seem to have a good eye. You know, maybe, maybe they didn't like it, uh, you know, but that was, I was blown away by that. And, and, and since then, I've actually seen some video from the same place where a woman had bandages over a burn she had on her shoulder. And the, uh, one of the orangutans kept gesturing, wanting to see what it was. I mean, the, you know, obviously there, you know, sentient beings, but, but, uh, but there's just so much. And so I started to, with just those first couple of photos, I started getting a reaction to those few photos I did 
at this opening, and I think it was 2014 or 2017, but very early on. And, and then I arranged to go back and this time, uh, you know, bring more, you know, strobes instead of just, you know, a, a, an off-camera, uh, you know, Nikon speed light. And uh, really produced, uh, in fact, the, the cover photo of the book uh, was produced on that second session when I went back and, and really brought lights that I could overpower they had pro photo lights that I could, you know, overpower the ambient light completely and, and really move around and shoot. And, and so that was really the beginning of it. And then uh, I also, I found out about in Florida, a, a rescue center for, for chimpanzees and orangutans, but I still focused on orangutans. Once again, not getting too broad. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I submitted to the Sony uh, contest and, and um, those photos were published all over the world um, you know, and won some awards. And then somebody in Switzerland for the Borneo Orangutan Survival Foundation saw those in a magazine and then contacted me and asked, would I do a pro bono thing for, for them in Borneo, uh, which I agreed to do. And so that's when it really started going. Uh, and then I've shot also at the Tamazoo, um, shot in Singapore, uh, because the, the portraits for the most part are in controlled environments. You know, I'm not going to use a strobe out in the wild. Uh, in Borneo, I used uh, Stella lights, which are now so powerful, uh, so we wouldn't startle uh, the animals at this rescue center. Uh, the animals and enclosures in zoos, I got permission to use it. And just like us, you know, it's not going to hurt our eyes, a strobe. It's not going to hurt theirs. But, of course, an animal in the wild, I'm not going to change his or her um behavior or anything by, by trying to do something like that in, in, in a wild situation. So I did more, you know, the typical wildlife sort of photography when I was wanted to photograph animals in the wild to tell part of the story. So the first part of the book are, are the uh, orangutans in the wild. Uh, but then I interviewed experts on, um, you know, behavior, uh, uh, behavior and you know animal behavior and I, I learned so much from them uh and so so that once again that's how it sort of germinated uh and then in australia at the big photo festival there they made these gigantic prints in switzerland uh we had a, a big exhibition uh, we're going to have a couple uh next year and so yeah i sort of just go with you know once again it still comes back to that same thing i'm not going to wait for for a commitment uh, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be published or we're going to pay for you to do this or that. I, I roll the dice, uh, you know, all the time, you know, and follow something. And then I've also then sort of used that technique uh, that, uh, up in um, a PR person said, hey, you know, what you did with the orangutans, would you be willing to do that uh, with these dogs and cats at this rescue center in Wisconsin where they're unwanted uh, because of these horrible things that have happened to them. They, they're not adoptable. And so they have a home for life. And that's actually the name of the organization. And so I did a pro bono thing, you know, for them, which is incredibly rewarding to do. And I mean, the backstories of these animals. So it's just you know, horrible, you know, uh, two of them, you know, were shot in the face. Um, uh, just one thing after, you know, another. Um, but I, I, I do think with the camera, we can make a difference, you know, and, and 
Yeah, because I, I think the book, uh, I love the, the portraits, but uh, the text, I learned so much about the palm oil industry and yeah. in, in Borneo and how that's impacting their their, their habitat. Um, you know, the communica communication abilities of the orangutans and the social di dynamics. I mean, just from the brief text in your book, I learned so much. And yeah. so, so thank you for that. Yeah. But I think, no, no, thank you. But I think I that's one of the things that makes what you do the way you do it, um, uh, really effective. Is that it's not just about the photographs. You know, the photographs are certainly important, but uh, the story and the context also is. 100%. That's so well said. I mean, right. It, just like, yeah, you look at, at, you know, Minamata always is sort of my go-to uh, example of, of that. You know, the, uh, you know, the, the words, uh, you know, the, the, or say the backstories and how we got to that place. Not just, you know, we just can't deal. Okay, yes, you're dealing with the present, but how did we get here? Mm -hmm. That is such an important thing because then we can really make uh, responsible decisions about now what can we do about it, um, you know. And that's everything, you know. Whether people are 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 you know you know focused on on doing stories about gun control or or um, or reproductive rights or whatever, you know, we've got to look at the big picture to understand how did we get here and then make an informed decision and so i think yeah photographs lead us on a story uh you know along a, a good path but but i think we still need words uh you know to, to to get to the finish line of whatever we need to you know focus on for the depth and, and um i mean you could see horrible photos of what's going on in ukraine but without an understanding of how did this situation develop uh, how can we make an informed decision about it? You know, what can we do about it? I don't have the answer, even though I might have be informed. I, I mean, th this is really tough. The, the one over there, um, you know, I do have some thoughts about how it could end, but uh, you know, that's that's uh, it means the end of of some leaders. Um, you know, I, I don't know any other way out. But who knows? Who knows? Um, You've you've produced how many books now? I think it's half, at least a half a dozen. Um, well, I think let's see. Uh, well, first book was Faces of the Twentieth Century uh, about master photographers. Uh, then Wonderlust, and we had two editions of that. Then now we have three editions of The Way the Japanese Bath. Then I did for Chronicle Books Inside um, North Korea and Inside Iran. Then then. I did South Korea, North Korea for the 60th anniversary, then a book, uh, a how-to book called um, with Focal Press uh, called um, uh, The Travel Photo Essay Describing a Journey Through Images, uh, and then the orangutan book, The People of the Forest, uh, which, by the way, the word orangutan right, breaks down as the people mm. of the forest. And so people saw the connections, you know, in, in Indonesia and uh, Malaysia, uh, obviously centuries ago. Um, 
so I really should count that up at some point. So, and I guess it depends, you know, and also there's international, I mean, there's uh, foreign language editions of, of some of the books. So, um, because yeah, it's maybe closer to 10 or yeah, something. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and having been able to produce, you know, books throughout most of your career, um, yeah. is quite the accomplishment, especially, especially now as the book industry has, has changed, making it even more difficult for a photographer to put out a body of, a body of work. So, uh, after all of these experiences, what do you think is one of the more valuable insights that you've gained in terms of getting your book published that you feel now is absolutely essential to making it happen, at least for yourself? Well, I think having a, a, a clear story uh, is the key. I mean, nowadays, uh, you know, my books are printed in a traditional manner. In other words, like, you know, when uh, I guess what you call offset printing, I should know the, the w proper word for it. But, you know, and they're done, they're printed in China. Or last book was printed in Korea. And, um, not sure where Abbeville Press, I can't, maybe they did in Italy and Chronicle. Can't quite remember where, but nowadays, like with with, with companies like Blurb, uh, people can do uh, one-off books and then have it for sale. And so, I would say to people, uh, if they're uh, interested in, in sort of softly getting into the the book world, they might want to do something uh, that direction. There's also contests where, pe where, where people uh, can, can submit projects, you know, for, for uh, and, and they might be able to get a publisher that way. I would say, you know, you know, going to book festivals, talking to people, uh, going to Barnes and Noble and look, looking at who is printing what, in other words, um, you know, Fiden might be doing one type of book while, uh, Tashin is doing another while Chronicles, uh, is doing what I mean there's so there's still a lot of good great publishers out there but so you can go and you know shop things around put a book dummy together you could even with blurb make a book dummy and then shop that around or it could just end with making a book at a place like blurb and then selling it there and then you don't have to um, have the huge investment but the key is no matter uh, if you want to pursue a book is is I, I, I've known from very early on, it has to be focused. So, uh, you know, so, you know, I teach a lot of workshops, you know, focused on the concept of the photo essay, you're telling a story through images. And, you know, that once again, I guess, you know, sort of ties into my interest in history and understanding, just like with my going way back now to my master's thesis on Boston's historic sites. Uh, focused body of work is what gets out there. And you go to any uh, galleryist and they'll tell you the same thing. And of course they often base uh, their shows on a new book coming out. And so that's another, you know, aspect of it. So they all sort of fit in together. Uh, I think the one thing that people probably should avoid is, is trying to just do stuff uh, as a greatest hits approach. You know, like here's, oh, here's the work I've done um, in France. France is not a story, right? France is a location. Mm -hmm. Get in there. What's interesting there? Uh, Japan is not 
story. It's what's interesting in there. And so you, you get in there into the Japanese bath, you know, the, the tsunami, the hiking, the Nakasendo, uh, which are magazine stories. Uh, obviously, I'm doing a lot more magazine stories every time there's a concept rather than a book. But um, yeah, definitely the key is is have it focused. And, and you know, let a retrospective be in the waning years of your career or, or life, but in the meantime, put bodies of work together. So um, I guess I'm sort of changing the, four, the, 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 the question more to suggestions than uh, based on my personal uh, no, but, experience. But it seems like you answered that in terms of having, having a focus rather yeah. than just sort of a broad collection of, your, of what you think are your best photographs. Exactly. And uh, you, you still can have that, but really that should be more for the retrospective uh, age, or, or, you know, rather, um, you know, rather than, you know, the, the path toward that. Um, I mean, you look at, uh, boy, I mean, one after another, and, and I think people can look at their own favorite uh, photographers, people that, um, like, like who, who are some of you? I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to say because you've interviewed so many people, but I guess you're still allowed to have your favorites oh, right? yeah. and say who they are. Like, who are some of the people that you look at? Oh, God. it's um, Well, the different people for different reasons. Like, uh, Gordon Parks is always on the top of my list just because so, uh, uh, he's an amazing photographer. Um, yeah. But I think part of it, part of like like you, he's he he did so many things because he didn't know he couldn't do them, and so that's oh, one of the man. things that's that's, so right that's my my big why I love his life and his career so much because he was a photographer, he was a filmmaker, he was a composer, you know, he did so many different things, and he had no training in on them. He just you know went well. Let me let me try and write a novel, you know, yeah. and he wrote a novel. And, you know, so, um, you know, there's, there's, um, Bill Allard. Yeah. I, what he, what he could do with Kodachrome was, jo huh, was just, right. was just jaw dropping to me. Uh, I agree with you. You know, he was a photographer working with 64, 200 ISO film. And he would, he would create images under circumstances that many people would have said, well, you can't make pictures here. Yeah. You know, and he, and he would find a way to, to do it. And the images yeah. would be just remarkable. So I think just, just those two off the top of my head are, 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 are people who, um, didn't allow, supposed limitations to keep them from doing what they were inclined to do, especially 100%. creatively. So yeah. I think that any, when I think about it, that any of the photographers who I sort of gravitate to have that spirit about, about them and it manifests itself in a, in a variety of different way. But I think that's probably the consistent through line. For oh, hundred percent. Well, most. Yeah. And I was you know fortunate to, to, uh, to know uh, Gordon, and he's in my first book. I don't know if you've seen the, mm -hmm. my portrait of him, or uh, and so he was telling me the story about when he went to Life magazine. Uh, and, and he came from Fort Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. 
And and uh, now there's a museum there. But boy, when he was growing up, you know, the prejudice and all the stuff that he had to go through is unbelievable. Now there's a museum at at, at the community. Oh, Fort Scott. I'm sorry. Oh, Fort that's Scott. right. Fort Scott. Yeah. Fort Scott. Uh, but the what he had to go up against is unbelievable. Um, and and I guess yet un- unfortunately believable. Uh, but when he went to Life magazine, he almost got tossed out, not because he was black, but because it's like, you just can't walk into Life magazine w- with with the portfolio. And he had already shot some fashion stuff by then, mm-hmm. and also the FSA. So he, so, uh, so, uh, he, he had a body of work. And so he sat down uh, and showed one of the editors. Uh, and so when he went in to see this guy, the uh, editor that nobody liked they're a very gruff guy i remember other photographers like horace bristol telling me how much they disliked this this editor there um he goes oh what do you want you know he goes uh oh and then another editor who brought him in said oh you really should take a look at his work he goes oh okay fine and he looked at it, he goes yeah yeah it's good good stuff uh what do you want to do for us and he said okay i gotta think of something that no white photographer could do and so he came. He came up with the idea almost instantly of doing the Harlem Street Gang oh, yeah. thing. And so that that story about Red mm-hmm. became, uh, you know, his his first big story uh, for Life magazine. And then once again, here, okay, you look at the through line or the, or the linear thing. Okay, so I don't know if it was his next story. I think he might have shot s- some other stuff in the meantime for it. But uh, uh, Ingrid Bergman saw that story. And so she said uh, when when they wanted to do a story, uh, Life wanted to do a story uh, in Stromboli uh, of of Ingrid Bergman, you know, with with um, Roberto Rossellini. Uh, she says, well, let's have Gordon do it. And, and so that's how we got that. And so that's that one thing leading to another thing. Mm. And then, of course, you know, he shot with, with Life uh, for years. Uh, and then a good friend of his, I saw... Who I always wanted to interview, and it was really not till many years later um, that I finally got to meet him was David Douglas Duncan. Oh, uh, you know who? Once again, I mean, here's a guy who you know parachuted into you know Korea, you know, shortly after the outbreak of the war, and and uh, the North Korean troops had, had sort of pushed down to what they call the the um, Busan perimeter. Uh, I mean, this guy was a gutsy guy for sure you know and then he ended up he's the one who really brought nikon uh to the west because he was putting nikon lenses uh, through a guy named june mickey and horace bristol in japan so these lenses and that's what he brought with him to korea to shoot and and so you see all these these uh these tie-ins that just fascinate me Mm -hmm. just uh you know just like you and i you know both went into a wet dark room and saw the a print come up for the first yeah. time, right? And and that magic, and, and uh, for sure, even though um, I haven't gotten my fingers in developer in years, uh, that magic has never left me. Yeah, nor I, nor I. Yeah, that's right, it's, it's the same. And look at us, see, we're still out there doing all this stuff, and uh, you're gonna be over in Japan soon? I hope you say hello for me. Oh, will do. <laughs> So, okay, I appreciate so that. my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to uh, recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and it could be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? 
Well, I, you've you've spoken. I think you're almost like six hundred people already. So I might be naming a few people you've already spoken with. But have you have you spoken with Sandro Miller? Sandro, I don't Sandro think so. Sandro is amazing. So. Okay, then then you have to, and I can help arrange it. Sandro Miller, I I recommend because he he has so many. Uh, his work is just so incredible. He's one of the greatest portraitists of our time, but he also like. Irving Irving Penn uh, will do these incredible still lifes of things. Uh, he works a lot with John Malkovitz. Uh, he did this whole series of sixty-one portraits. Oh, of, of, yeah, of, brilliant, yeah, brilliant, yeah, yeah. Right, or famous photo, photographs that they work together to put on. So, so, so uh, he's on the top of my list, and we teach some workshops together. We first met in India actually at a workshop and, and then we've teamed up in China We're going to team up again in Chicago. Uh, he is uh, on, on the top of my list for, for sure, because he doesn't know any barriers at all. And he's not afraid to, to say what he really thinks with a camera uh, in terms of, um, I, I mean, one of his most recent ones is he addresses all the, the you know, prejudice that's going on again. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of th- things are raising their their, their ugly heads. I th- that I think a lot of us thought was in the past, and I think that that um, uh, that have been stirred up again uh, for political gain and, and uh, creating a lot of division. And uh, he he takes that straight on with his camera. Uh, and, and one of his new series. Um, and, and what he's had to overcome uh, in his life to, to uh, I mean, I'll let you, because you guys were going to talk for sure about it, but I mean, he had a very severe case of cancer. And, that's, and, and so he let that horrible situation eventually inspired his, his decision to take on this, in, this concept uh, of photographing uh, John Malkovich and all these different historic photo scenarios, uh, which you know the the technical precision has to be you know beyond yeah. belief, but it's also you know have, having a whole team that can. I mean, how do you reassemble things to look like um, you know Dorothea Lang's you know photo of the migrant? workers or um i mean just one image after another it's like that's incredible and and so yeah so he's on the the top of the list for for who you have to talk with and i'll I'll be glad to facilitate that i appreciate that man and it's so nice to be able to catch up with you it's great to catch up to you and i look forward to um to coming out to uh one of your stomping grounds which is a huntington yeah you're welcome Uh, anytime I'm going to take you up on that when I get back from Australia for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Mark for joining us. Learn more about Mark and his work by visiting markedwardharris.com. And if you're a fan of our work, you can write reviews on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts and share a favorite episode on social networks, be it Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember to use the hashtag TheCandidFrame. 
You can also support us financially by contributing via PayPal or Patreon. I'm leading a half-day photography workshop in Los Angeles in a couple of weeks. If you're interested and in the LA area, please visit the Los Angeles Center of Photography website or click on the link in the show notes. We recently relaunched our newsletter. If you want to receive updates on everything related to the Candid Frame and book recommendations and announcements for special events and workshops, please sign up by visiting our website. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And the show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.